This is the word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up till this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come to you in love and with a gentle spirit? All right. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you. If this is your first time, maybe you... Uh you just dropped in or you got invited, that's awesome. Maybe you got bribed with uh, lunch afterward or that <laughs> you'd meet somebody cute. Whatever got you here, we're just glad you showed up. And we want to invite you back next week uh, as we are going to be having all three of our, our campuses together in a message. Uh, Mark and Rich and I are all going to be talking about this forgotten virtue of honor, you know, which is going to be a great one with the elementary kids who are going to be joining us in the auditorium for the holiday, because this is a culture that not only needs wisdom, but needs honor. Wouldn't you agree? And so this is the final talk in our series through 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters, which deal with God's unconventional wisdom. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a bunch of divided, dysfunctional believers in a church that he started 
in the Greek city of Corinth just a few years previously. And he, is, he led a lot of them to the faith. And now he's telling them, you guys need to adopt God's wisdom instead of the world's wisdom. You need to grow up in that. We saw in week one that God's wisdom is considered foolishness by the world, but it is the true wisdom. And then in week two, we discovered how to think like Jesus is by receiving that revealed wisdom, which we get through scripture. And that last week, we saw that uh, you've got to decide to grow up, to grow wise by following God's ways. And here we are now, we're, we're in week four, and so much of this has been about changing the way we live by changing the way we think. And to change the way you think, you've got to change what you think about. And change what you think about, you change what you, you put in your mind. So it's, it's about being changed by filling yourself with God's word and being filled with God's spirit, which leads us to making good decisions and proper judgments. And if you would like to see any of those previous messages, you can watch them on the website or you can listen to the podcast. But I want to ask you, where do you get your wisdom from? Where do you get your values from? Where do you get your morality from? In fact, I'd encourage you to ask that of somebody who, who is secular, who is irreligious. See what they say. Because if you ask a religious person, they're typically going to point you to some kind of objective source of authority. For example, Muslims would point you to the Quran. Uh, a Jewish person might point you to the Torah. Uh, Mormons would point you to the Book of Mormon. But when you're dealing with a secular person, maybe an atheist or somebody who's just a worldly person, where do you get your values from? Ask them that question. I don't mean aggressively, but curiously, where do you get your values from? And and chances are they will answer something like this. Well, uh, I get it from human experience. But what does that even mean? Because there's all kinds of human experience, all varieties of human experience. Doesn't mean it's right or it's good. It just is. Doesn't tell you what ought to be. And and human experience is is very changeable. It's relative. It's cultural, which is why there's so much foolishness in the world, because everybody's just kind of doing whatever they want to do. It's very it's baseless and fluid and inconsistent and chaotic. So ask them not only where do you get your values, but where do you get your wisdom? Because schools don't even grapple with that question anymore. Where do I get wisdom from? Instead, what we have is, frankly, a lot of dangerous people indoctrinating our young people with these ideas that there's no such thing as as truth, truth is all relative, and that reality is just a social construct. Where do you get your morality from? What is the basis for determining what's right and wrong, what's good and bad? Because there is no ought in human experience. Again, it's just make it up as you go. Reason alone is not going to get you to morality. Uh, you, you need some sort of an external, objective, transcendent source of authority. And that's why there's a section in the New Testament where Paul writes about people who deny this very basic wisdom, basic knowledge in Romans 1, verses 21 and 22. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became what? Futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. All right, so they're claiming to be wise, but their very denial of God and of his standards, of his moral laws, is proof that they're not wise. 
Now, I'm not saying you're stupid. You know, it, you can be a brilliant atheist, but in order to, to get there, you have to deny and suppress this very basic knowledge of God that's evident in the order, complexity, and beauty of nature, and it is hardwired into our very consciences. They think they know everything, much like a sophomore in school, right? Second year student in school, they're called sophomore for a reason, because traditionally it means a wise fool, right? Because they've made it through their first year as a freshman, they think they know everything, but actually what it is is just a combination of ignorance and arrogance. And so it's kind of pretentious and definitely unwise to claim to be wise. Faith is the beginning of wisdom. It all starts with faith in God. Notice that their thinking is futile. They can't even think straight about these kinds of matters because their minds are clouded, their hearts are darkened, their spiritual eyes are blinded because we've got a human nature that is corrupted by our sinful desires, by the deceptions of this world, and by that clever, devious enemy we have, the devil, who tries to keep us from the truth. And so the world, in fact, really, a lot of people who claim to be Christians would prefer a faith that's just kind of a self-help, feel-good, positive thinking, therapeutic message about a God who's there to just make your life happier. Not about a God who calls you out for making wrong decisions and doing wrong things. They don't want a God who judges them for anything. And truth is, you can go to a number of churches today who you'll get that exact message. You can go for years and never hear about the wrongness of sin or the power of the cross to forgive. And so I get that what we teach here may sound like foolishness to much of the world. In fact, there would be some that what we teach here, oh, it's just narrow-minded ignorance and, and judgmental bigotry. And I get that, but listen, it's, it, there's never an excuse for teaching God's word in an offensive way. But God's word is always going to offend people because it's light that exposes the darkness of secular human reasoning. So for us to be faithful Christians, to be obedient to God's word, to, to be truly wise in the eyes of God, whether in Corinth or in college, in the public square or in pop culture, we have to choose to become fools. We have to choose foolishness. And that means we're not going to find our wisdom in whatever's trending and whatever is being peddled on TV or regurgitated in academia. We've got to be willing to be unreasonable in society, to be out of step with the times, to be labeled on the wrong side of history, to be bad-mouthed and scorned. That's the way Jesus taught. It was a very subversive, countercultural, alternate way of wisdom that went against the grain of this world, that upended the conventional wisdom of his and every culture since. And so we get ourselves into a lot of messes when we disregard his wisdom and adopt that of the world. When we have wrong beliefs, we're going to make bad decisions. When we lean on our own wisdom instead of God's, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. So you go through these verses throughout the Bible, you go back 3,000 years ago to the book of Proverbs and all these wise sayings by the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus, King Solomon and others saying, look, here's what a wise person does and here's what a fool does. And you read that and you go, yep, that's me. I'm a fool. I've done that. And for example, in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, this is what he says. Everybody together out loud. Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but... 
speak. All right. That, that's the way is to follow God's way. But you got to decide to do that. It's not just going to happen. I got to choose to be wise. I got to pursue it. I got to seek it. And so the apostle Paul, he's concerned that we would rely on God's wisdom that's been revealed in scripture so that we can make proper judgments. And that wisdom we know has been entrusted to the apostles and prophets who were commissioned and authorized by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we have their writings handed down to us accurately, faithfully, and we study those so that we can pass it on to others in whatever their given circumstance or era or language. And that's why this is our big idea, is to humbly accept biblical counsel to make good decisions. That's how we make good decisions, to receive the wisdom of God's word. Revealed through men like Peter, Paul, Apollos. And you know, th these guys who are, who are giving us God's word like this, they're still, they're nothing more than servants themselves. They're guides to help us understand the mind of God. So Paul's saying, don't divide over these personalities. Don't segregate yourself into these religious cliques like I'm with Paul and I follow Peter and I'm team Apollos. Because you guys are taking pride in this kind of nonsense, in, in, this, in these factions that, are, that make you feel like you're superior to everybody else. These guys are all preaching the same message, the same Jesus. And so it's not about the messengers. It's not about the human leaders. This is about Jesus. And it doesn't matter what anybody else, how, how they judge them, because God has been the one to entrust them with his word. They're stewards of his message. And a steward is only responsible to his master. We're only concerned with pleasing the one we serve. And so God has approved them as faithful men who's able, they're able to teach from a clear conscience because they're teaching accurately. And the same is true for Christian leaders today. When we're faithfully, accurately communicating God's truth, Instead of our own human opinions and our sectarian traditions and our religious rules and personal preferences, then we can have a clear conscience before God because we're teaching what he says. Our authority comes from scripture. That, that's, that's it. That's the only authority we have. What does God say in scripture? And so somebody says, well, I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, but God says this. Yeah, but I still think, well, it doesn't matter what you think anymore. God's already spoken. You know, when you've got a thus says the Lord, your opinion really doesn't matter. Our authority for our faith and our practices comes from scripture. And Paul says, don't go beyond what's written in the word of God, because that's the standard by which all of our thoughts and actions are judged and evaluated. Everything is tested by the word of God. Now, maybe you're somebody who's, who's thought about going into Christian leadership. And if so, I would say to you, study. You gotta make sure you're studying the word of God so that you know the Bible well, so that you're not just teaching your own opinions and unlearned interpretations. You say, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't like to read. I don't like to study. Well, then you're probably not called to be a leader because how are you going to give people God's wisdom instead of your own wisdom if you won't dig in to God's word and study it? God's going to judge us for our stewardship regardless of how other people may judge us or criticize us. It doesn't matter how popular we may be, how big your church may be, how small it may be. All that matters is, am I pleasing my master? Am I being faithful to him? Because I know one day I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for how I've taught and how I've led. And I know that those of us who teach are going to be judged more strictly. So I got to be very careful 
that I'm teaching what God says and leading the way he wants me to. Yeah, of course, we, we want to be open to evaluation and correction. But here's what happens is you've got to point me to the word of God to show me where I'm wrong. You may not like my style. You may not agree with my methods. You may not approve of my logistical decisions and strategies. But you've got to point me to what is wrong. How am I off course biblically, theologically, scripturally? Because all that really matters is, am I pleasing my master? Am I being faithful to him? Because you may have your own ideas and your opinions and your interpretations that you think I should get on board with and push, but that ultimately doesn't matter. It's what does God want me to do? I got to be faithful to scripture. And I think ministers and pastors, of course, we're not above being called out for, for making bad decisions sometimes. We're human. We're, we're fallible. We're flawed. We don't always do the wise thing. We'll, we'll make some bad calls every once in a while. But be careful about judging those in Christian leadership because you can jump to conclusions without having all the facts. Right? You, may, you can judge somebody's actions, but you can't judge their heart, their motives, their intents. Only God knows that. So be careful about playing God and misjudging someone. Paul warns about that, about getting all puffed up with pride like you know it all. Like, you know, you're in the know and you, you got all the facts when you don't. Getting all full of hot air and full of yourself instead of full of the spirit. Because the Corinthians, they, they were getting all jacked up and picturing themselves as being so wise in their own eyes. And Paul says, you think you're in the know. You think you've arrived. But you know what? You got nothing to brag about. You can't take credit for anything. Everything you've got, God has given you. It's all by his grace. So why are you all comparing and competing? Just receive what God has given you. And so he's going he's gonna to launch into some sanctified sarcasm. Anybody ever tell you you have the gift of sarcasm? Yeah, it's a spiritual gift. Well, maybe not a gift, but it's a useful tool in the hands of the right kind of person. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to bring on the sarcasm and build them up so he can bring them down. He is going to, he's going to ironically praise them so that he can humble them. He says, oh, you got, you Corinthians, you, you've got so much. You are just awesome. You are, you're so rich and powerful and successful. You, you guys rule. I mean, wow, I wish I wish we could reign with you too. We Christian leaders, but we're just punks. I mean, we're just poor slaves. We're nothing. All we, all we get to do is work hard. And you're so much better than us. We're just a bunch of losers being paraded around like prisoners, being marched off to our death for the amusement of the crowd. And they're all looking down on us saying, you bunch of pathetic losers. But you, you're, you're tremendous. Why can't we be more like you? You're so wise. And we're just fools. You're, you're, we're just miserable misfits that the world looks down on. You're so strong and we're so weak. You're so honored and we're so dishonored and brutally treated. When we get cursed, we, we just bless people back. And when we get persecuted, we just got to endure it. And when we get slandered, man, we just have to suck it up and let it go. People badmouth me. They, they cuss me out. And... Uh, I just gotta, I just gotta let it go. And you're so lucky, you Corinthians. You don't have to deal with any of that. You have to put up with that. Like us, we're just scum of the earth. We're garbage in the eyes of the world. But you, you're sitting on top of the world. Oh, you got it made. How nice for you. 
All right, so you, you feeling it, right? He's like, he's, so, he's throwing some serious shade their way. Like, who do you think you are? Uh, you know, maybe they're feeling ashamed by this because, you know, wh- what did you expect when you signed up to become a Christian? You thought you were going to get all the perks and privileges of this world? Oh, come on. Paul gave up all that stuff. He considered it all worthless. He gave up his position. He gave up his achievements. He gave up all of his comforts so that he could go off and follow Jesus and be considered a fool by the world. Wow. Christian leadership is so glamorous, man. Sign me up for that job. I want to do that. Just means you got to work and you got to suffer. And it's a humbling thing. Don't go into leadership because you think you're going to get paid well, because you think you're going to get all this honor and respect because people aren't always going to treat you so well. Don't go into it for any other reason than the love of Jesus, man. I love Jesus. I believe he's called me. I believe he's gifted me and I'm compelled by conviction to serve him. And that's what's going to sustain you through those times of ministry and leadership that aren't so fun. Paul goes on to say in verse 14, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my what? Dear children. Remember, he brought this congregation into existence. He's the guy that led many of these people to the faith. So he was like a father in the faith to them. Now, you may remember earlier, Jesus has said, don't call anybody on earth your spiritual father. So it's not like they're calling him Father Paul. But we don't know that Paul had children of his own. We don't know that he was married at any point in his life. At this time, we definitely know he's not married. But he had a lot of spiritual children in various cities where he started churches and led people to Jesus. And all he cares about is helping them to grow up and mature and be like Jesus. And yet, here they are acting like a bunch of big babies and spoiled brats. And he says, I want to help you grow up. I'm asking you to just remember what I did. Imitate me. I'm not asking you to do anything I didn't do myself. Think about that. How many of you would feel comfortable right now turning to the person next to you and saying, hey, imitate me. Be like me. Do what I do. Right? I mean, it's pretty convicting. And yet that's exactly what Christian leaders are supposed to do. We're supposed to be able to tell people, follow me as I follow Jesus. Now, not that we're perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. Only one person was sinless, but this is somebody who had his act together spiritually. He had his his spiritual life in order. He prayed. He served. He had his priorities straight. He had his finances managed. He had his mouth under control, his impulses in check. He knew God's word. He loved God's people. And when he did fall and fail, he repented. That's the kind of leaders we're called to be. Christians, especially new ones and young ones, need that kind of example. They don't just need teaching, but they need examples. People who will say, not only do as I say, but do as I do. Watch me do this. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Christian leaders do. Set the example. Again, not that we're perfect. Only Christ is. But we ask you to follow us as we follow Jesus. And when we fall, when we fail, we repent. That's what a leader does. And since Paul is not there in person anymore with the Corinthians, he says, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to send you my apprentice, Timothy. He's like my son in the faith. He's going to come there and not only remind you of what I taught you, but he's going to be an in-person, in-the-flesh example of how to live for Christ. Pay attention to him. Because listen, if you guys remain divided and dysfunctional, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to come back there. You ever do that with your kids? You've been there where you say, don't make me come back there. It's Paul saying, don't make me come back to Corinth. You know, you better get your act together. You, you're getting too big for your britches. And the kids are like, oh, man, it's his dad making empty threats again. I mean, he's all talk, you know, all bark and no bite. He ain't going to do nothing. And Paul says, I'm not playing. I'm going to come back there with some tough love. I'm going to tough love all over you. And you're going to feel 
this discipline from God. Now, what do you, is that what you want? Do you want a dad of gentleness or do you want a dad who's ready to take off the belt? It's up to you. And that's a good dad. I know it, it, because when we let our kids get away with anything, it's not good for them. It leads to their destruction, to their harm. A good dad says, I love you and I can't let you go on doing this. I got to do what's right for you, what's good for you. And I know it's tough and I know it hurts, but I can't allow you to continue in this behavior because it's going to destroy you and it's going to tear this family apart. And I think in a lot of ways, being a pastor is like being a parent. That's why Paul writes these letters to First Timothy, to Titus, and says, if you aspire to be an elder or a pastor, and if you have kids, you've got to be a good dad to those kids. And so the question is, how well do you manage your family? Because that's the testing ground. If you can't take care of your own family, how are you going to take care of God's family, which is the church? We're a family. And kids, kids are great. Love kids. We enjoy them. We guide them, we help them, but sometimes kids act like kids. They're, they get very childish. And so that's when pastors especially have to step up and be the parents. We want to help them mature. And so you want to care for them, but not coddle them. You want to please them, but you don't want to spoil them. You want to encourage them, but you don't want to enable them because you want them to grow to be like Jesus. And just like with a parent, you know, you can't always be your child's friend. They're not, your child's not always going to like you because sometimes you just have to be the parent. But that's the heart of a good dad is I got to do what's right and best for you. And the problem is today, there are so many who don't have good dads like that. They don't know what it's like. All they've grown up with is abandonment, abuse, avoidance, and so all they experience is resentment and rejection and rebellion. And then they end up bringing that into the church, into the family of God, and they have a really difficult time trusting and honoring and respecting spiritual leadership. And so in a, a largely fatherless generation today, we especially need father figures in the church. And you can find those. You can find those kinds of figures in our groups. You find somebody who's a little bit ahead of you, a little more mature, a little bit more wise in their faith. You can find them in coaching relationships. And when you're in any kind of ministry leadership, you're going to have to be a good dad sometimes because you're going to instruct, you're going to correct, you're going to challenge, you're going to help kids grow. And that's, a dad is supposed to be an exemplary kind of guy. You know, back when I started this church, <clears throat> I was just in my mid-20s and was a new dad to a little boy. And now, much later, I'm old enough to be many of yours dad. You know, or in fact, some of you, I could be your grandfather, which I'm in complete denial about, but all right. Can't help it. It, it just takes a long time to, to enable people to trust, to trust your heart, to trust your motives to trust your wisdom. And, and I obviously I know this is not my church. This is Jesus church. It belongs to him. But there's something special about being the one to bring it into existence, right? To, to, to lead a bunch of people to faith over the years and, and to see, you know, that children come and go over all these years. And some of them literally were children and now they're grown up and they have kids of their own. And some of them 
uh, are thriving and others have walked away or fallen away. Some of them have brought great joy. Others have brought disappointment and pain. And, you know, you're never supposed to take it personally, but you always do. You can't help it. You know, I, I remember years ago, somebody telling me that nobody would ever feel the kind of burden for this church that I do. Because there's something special about being the one to help bring it into existence. And nobody's going to care for this church like I do. And it's not that, that we don't have others. We have many others who care for this church, who love it, who are, who are taking care of it, uh, who, who feel a burden for it. But nobody's ever going to feel the kind of burden for it that I do. They told me nobody's ever going to feel the kind of responsibility for this church that I do. Because I just want you all so much to grow up in your faith and become like Jesus. I want you to love Jesus, to know his word, to live his word, and to carry out his mission. That's why God put me here. I want to see that happen. But thank the Lord we have others who are like that too. We have good elders here who love this church, who seek to direct it well and to protect it from any harm like guardians, men like Keith Whitehouse and men like Juan Pardo and like Dave Zimmerman, men who love you, who... Um, teach you, who pray with you, who counsel you, and our campus pastors like Mark Essek and Rich Collins. Uh, these are men who, who teach and disciple. And look, we're all flawed. We all have our failures. None of us are perfect. But these are men that you can trust. They are worthy of imitating, that you can listen to because they will always give you good biblical counsel. Not that we're counselors or therapists, but we're always going to point you to the Word of God because that's what's going to instruct you and challenge you and admonish you and correct you and help you to grow up and be more like Jesus because it will give you God's wisdom. Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and what? Imitate their faith. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So humbly accept that biblical counsel to make good decisions. Okay, so Paul has set us up now for the rest of 1 Corinthians because, man, is he going to get into it now. He's going he's to really... It's going to get heavy, especially we begin this new series in June, chapters 5 through 7 on God's ideals for sex, marriage, divorce, and singleness. Woo, it's going to get, it's going to get intense is all I'm saying. All right? Because look, in, in your everyday life, you are going to be swayed to approve of things that go against God's will. You are going to be asked to endorse things that are contrary to Scripture. You're going to be asked to bow down to the idols of this culture. Get ready for it. You are going to be bad mouthed. You are going to be mocked. You're going to be considered a fool. But you know what? You're always going to be considered a fool in somebody's eyes, right? And so I like the way one Christian leader put it I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? You're going to be somebody's fool. And if you're a Christian and you've been living by this world's wisdom, if you've been adopting the world's values and caving into the world's pressure, this is a really good day to repent of all that, to, uh, to let God's grace wash over you and begin to change you and empower you to live for God again. And if you're not a Christian, your very first step 
is to make the decision to follow Jesus because he's God who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for you to serve you, to save you and rose from the dead so that he could become your leader that you could follow into the kingdom. And you can make that decision today by repenting of all the wrong decisions, the bad decisions that you've made since forever and all the ones that are yet to come. And he can forgive you for all of those. And you can be baptized into Christ today and experience a washing, a cleansing, a forgiveness of sin, and a filling with the Holy Spirit. And if you're ready to be baptized today and begin that new life in Christ, we want to put this T-shirt on you to remind you that it will be the best decision ever. All right, let's pray. Father God, we're coming to you because you said if any of us lacks wisdom to ask, and you'll give it. So we're asking. We need it. Give us discernment so that we can see what's right and good and true. Help us to make decisions that are first pleasing to you. And we want to submit to your authority because your ways are higher than our ways. And we ask that you would help us to make good decisions for ourselves, for our families, for our culture, our society. Because we want to be the ones, Lord, to shed some light into this darkness. Let it begin with us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.